no longer a slave to fear. I would have told you for years that I was not. God had saved me. But until God took me through some things, I sat beside the bed while my daughter had a needle about that long stuck into her throat for a biopsy for cancer. Then you start learning about being a slave to fear. There's things there you don't want to face. God took me through it. He was there. Gave us strength. Man, I went through some financial things that I'm ashamed of and I don't want to tell you about. But I can tell you that God was there. And He brought me through it. In ways I couldn't have done on my own. He worked it out. Then it was me that laid on the table and was fading out and told the doctors, you're losing me. And by their reaction, they believed it. I'm no longer a slave to fear. There was a calmness in my heart. There was a calmness. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of the king. I'm not looking forward to the next time. I ain't trying to get there real fast. But I've already been there, and I know that he'll be with me. I can trust him. I'm no longer a child of fear. Man, I love that song. I got to hear it twice this morning. It was, it was better the second time. We're going to look at the 43rd chapter of Isaiah in a moment. Uh, now we're we've got a full house here this morning, pretty close, and uh, that's great to see. There's a little bit of extra room. Uh, there was more room in the first service, but we have a missions team in Honduras on their way back, and we have another missions team on their way to Honduras. As I understand, maybe they got delayed somewhere, but uh, pray for uh, traveling mercies for them. Um, But that's why there's a few less of us here this morning. But God's here, and that's the important part. He was here in the first service, and I felt him here in the second service. And I'm excited to share with you what God has laid on my heart to share with you. I believe that he has a word for us. And Israel, uh, Israel is in captivity at this time, and Isaiah writes to them. If you would, stand with me all over the house as you turn to uh, the 43rd chapter of Isaiah. I'm going to read the first 21 verses, not the whole chapter, but most of it. And, uh, and God is talking to Israel here. It says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. 
I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I, shall, I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior, declared. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and your witnesses declared, declares the Lord, I and I am God. Also henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember, not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to break your word this morning, to, uh, to uh, share it with your people. God, we pray that as you've laid it on my heart, Lord, that you would speak through me and the people would hear what you would have them to hear, that you open their minds, their hearts, their eyes, their souls. God, that you would speak to each and every one. None of us would leave the back door the way we came in. But God, we will be changed and closer to you and have a better understanding of who you are and have drawn nearer to you. We'll give all the praise to Jesus. We ask it in his name. We'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. Oh, God, our Savior, the one that died for us, the one that gave his life for us, uh, bridged a gap, paid a price we could never pay. Lord, we thank you for this, and we praise Jesus in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah has spent this chapter reminding the children of Israel 
who are in Babylonian captivity right now. They're enslaved. He's written this to them, and he's reminding them of the deliverance that was given to their ancestors, their forefathers, when they were brought out of Egypt. You'll remember the ten plagues. Moses led the children of Israel out. God delivered them miraculously. And now they've fallen back into captivity uh, under the Babylonian Empire. They've been there uh, for most of, I think, 70 years. And God is going to deliver them. But what Isaiah is reminding them of is, while he's going to deliver them, he's not going to do it the same. You see, God is so creative, he never has to do the same thing twice. Unlike me, I'll repeat the thing. You'll hear things. you hear me say things this morning you've heard me say before. Yep, you can mark that down. I knew a preacher one time that used his illustration so many times, he numbered them. He would come up to one and he'd go, this is number 23. Jokingly, but the fact is, um, that's, uh, you know what, we're not that creative. I'm not that creative. But God, on the other hand, look around at your world. He is so creative that he doesn't ever have to do the same thing twice. And virtually, he never will. And that's what he was trying to tell the Israelites. You're going to be delivered. You're going to be brought back home. But God's going to do it in a new way. He's going to do a new thing for you, in you, to you, and through you. And we see in verse uh, 18, Isaiah says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. In other words, don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. Look forward. There's a whole life and a whole world to look forward. And that's what he's reminding them of as he says God's going to do a new thing. In Philippians 3.13, uh, Paul addresses it in a little bit different way, but the same thing. He says in Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's talking about the race, uh, being in the race. He said, but one thing I do, forgetting what lays behind me and straining forward to what lays ahead. I will promise you this from, believe it or not, you might not realize it looking at me now, I used to run races. I really did. I won a few. But I never won one looking back. You know when I won? When I was focused on where I was going. I was looking forward, progressing forward. And that is what... Paul is talking about here. See, Paul himself knew what he was talking about. He needed to forget what had happened so that he could put all of his energies into what God still had for him. Because we think about all the great things that Paul did, but go back and remember when he started, and he didn't, and he was saying, I have to forget the fact that they put a certificate in my hand, and I traveled around the country and threw Christians in jail and killed them. That's what Paul was forgetting. What do you need to put in your past? Has God forgiven you? If you're a Christian here this morning, he's forgiven you. It's time for you to forget and put those things in your past. He has. If you're here this morning, we all know that guilt, the feeling, and the devil will try to drag the old things back up for us. But if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you're carrying that guilt. Your past isn't behind you. It's ever before you. You remember those things. You can't get away from them. You've never been forgiven for them. But Paul here says he can focus all of his energies forward by putting the past behind him, focusing on the past also 
sometimes we've had victories. We've done some things. I tell you, I, I want to race. I will promise you I don't sit around and dwell on those races. You've met those people where their greatest days were in high school and they're 60 years old and still bragging about high school. Um, I've come across those people uh, before, and uh, they're kind of comical, actually. Uh, but on focusing on the past, we can tend to get prideful. Why? Because we've, con- we've quit growing. Those who are focused on moving forward aren't worried about the races of yesteryear or the things of the past that we know, but we're looking forward. And this applies spiritually uh, as well. I've seen people get saved and then spend time bragging about how crazy they were and what a great time they used to have and all the great things that used to be in their life. And it's like, wait, I thought you were saved and you, you got away from that. And I've seen those people so often, like the Israelites who missed the onions and garlics in Egypt when they had been delivered out, so often people that, still live in the past, will turn back to it. I don't understand, but I've watched that happen. But here's what I do know. By chasing, by running after God's plan for us in our lives, we will be humbled by how weak our faith is. The person that you know that has the strongest faith if you could sit down and talk with them, will be humbled in how weak their faith really is. Why? Because every now and then we see the awe of what God has done for us. We understand what God's mighty hand is doing in our lives. And sometimes he peels back and shows us, son, this is what I've done for you. Don't get too proud. The strongest person in faith you know will be humbled by how weak their faith is. Now, to say forget the past doesn't mean that we forget our history. In fact, almost all of the holidays that we celebrate are to commemorate the past, to remember those who have gone on before us, those that have paved the way, that have made our lives possible, such as Memorial Day, remembering the past those that have fought and died, the 4th of July, remembering the price that was paid and celebrating our great country, Christmas, remembering Jesus and the birth and him coming from heaven and what he sacrificed for us, and then Easter. And so these holidays, remembering what God has done for us and the price that was paid, it's important to remember our history and remember who we are to look back in that way but not to live in the past. In the first century, you would have found the Jews celebrating. I've looked at Jewish, uh, a little bit, the Jewish history, and uh, it seems like anytime I hear uh, news from Israel, they're always in the middle of a festival. They have a lot of them. They celebrate a lot of stuff, and great for them. Uh, But the Passover would have been one of the things that they looked back. It was commemorating God bringing them out of Egypt. Imagine being in Babylon, in captivity, celebrating the Passover, the deliverance of your, excuse me, forefathers. Been a little strange, wouldn't it? But now you've been given a word from a prophet saying, it's okay. God's going to deliver. He hasn't forgotten. He's going to do something different, something new. 
What is being addressed here is a forgiven and a forgotten past, but remembering how we got here, who we are. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your past is forgiven and forgotten. He threw it over his shoulder into the sea of his forgetfulness, as the Bible tells us. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's offered. And uh, as we'll talk about here in this church, this time, there's never been a better time, a better day, a better offer for you. What Isaiah is trying to say also applies to the church of today, the church as a whole. The church as a group here and then as the larger church outside. Uh, but the thing is, is a church today needs to be whole, not to lean on the past. There is a future to gain. In other words, a church needs to be looking forward. Have you ever been around a dead, dying church? Some of us might have went to one time or two visited and or been a part of. They've not changed anything in the last 50 years. The preacher is near dead, and so are all the parishioners. There's nothing going on in the church. The, the thing that they put over here at the side that tells you how many has been in Sunday school, they haven't had to change it in 30 years. It's the same people showed up every time, gave the same offering, changed the same everything. And Sister Bertha, better than you, sitting over here keeping an eye on you, if you try to change something, she's the gatekeeper. It ain't happening. She is on top of things for no change. She wouldn't fit in that make America great thing well, would she? (laughs) You know, we laugh about that, but I visited one of those churches a few years back. Stepped in. It was a revival. My wife and I went. We went several nights. Maybe every night of that revival we were there. God was in that revival. He, he met with us. I had felt a pull towards the ministry. And he confirmed it during that meeting. I mean, he really met. And, and, and came to me in a really in a, a special way. And some of you all may doubt my call, but I don't. He That was funny, sorry. But that night, particular night, we stepped in the door. We visited with a few people, and we got there in time to pick our seat. We walked down the center aisle and found a spot just outside the spit radius. They have a good view of everything going on, but if they got the sling and sweat, it wouldn't be on me. You're in trouble. (laughs) And we had no more than got set down in that seat preparing for the service. And here comes, what do they call a bunch of chickens? Hens. Clucking. Anyway, a whole gat, and that's gaggle is not. That's, a, that's ducks or flock. Flock, okay. A flock of chickens come in and they sat down in the seat behind us. And you could tell this was their home church because especially one of them, loud enough to make sure we heard, was complaining about these visitors that were just showing up and sitting wherever they wanted to in their seat. I ain't kidding you. 
And my wife, her eyes kind of got big, and she nudged me, and she's like, honey, I think we ought to move. Help me, Lord. My old neck got stiff, and I said, I ain't moving. Set still. Lord, forgive me if that was the wrong attitude. Maybe I was just having to help her with patience. And we laugh, and that's crazy. I've not seen a whole lot of that around here. We, we do kind of assign our own seats, but, man, let me say, in this church, I have so often seen when the, the sanctuary is full and visitors came in, people get up and go out and find standing room. And I commend our church for that. But this particular night, this particular church, with the whole sanctuary near empty, I mean, it was a, it was a few minutes. They were upset because I had done set in their spot. You know what? That church later collapsed completely. You know why? They're living in yesteryear. They're living in the great things that had happened in the past. The church had been a lot bigger than ours. And it collapsed completely. There was a wrong attitude. Some people living in the wrong era. They're living in the past, not looking forward, not growing it, not thinking, what does God have for me to do today? They're living on the glories of yesterday and yesterday's victories. Not this church. That's not how I found it. This church started in 2006. I think I confirmed that. Um, after the last service because I couldn't remember exactly when. But my family and I came through the back door there in 2012. I believe it was about 12 years ago. We didn't even use the back of the, uh, behind the sound booth. Most of the time there was a wall up there and we didn't use, and you could sometimes on Sunday mornings we'd have about 180 people here. Church was pretty good size. They'd grown um, in that six-year period from about 12 people to 180. So it had been quite a growth um, that had happened. God had been moving. You know why? Because he was here. The Spirit was here. People were in prayer. People were inviting others. They were talking to other people. They were doing God's work, but humbling themselves and moving forward in a church that was outreaching to its community. Over the next five years, the church grew even a little bit more. We were about 220 people. Uh, but easily we would all fit here in a, a Sunday morning service, in a 1030 service. In May of 2017, a group of people began to gather, never formally called, but began to gather in here to pray on Saturday night at midnight. We would have as many as 20 people show up at midnight on Saturday night. That's just not a normal time. Some folks got a little uncomfortable, right? Got out of their comfort zone. And they began to show up here and lay on their face and to pray. As many as 20 or more people would show up. And then we began to have other churches hear about it. And some of them would come. And they would go back and they started prayer meetings in their churches. It's happened multiple times. God began to move. He would touch. He would do great things. We've seen a lady uh, who was uh, scheduled for knee surgery. Uh, one, of the, one of the ladies that was part of the group that met here regularly, 
around midnight on Saturday night. We, by the way, we were praying for the next day's services. We were ending the week in prayer and beginning the week in prayer, praising God, thanking Him for what He had done, praying for souls that we didn't even know would be here. We didn't know who it would be, but we knew we were praying for people. People would be laying on their faces here. People would be walking the aisles uh, between the pews, standing over places where they knew you might be sitting, praying for you. Through the classrooms all around. By the way, that has continued till this day in some form or fashion. At this point in time, it eventually moved to 10 o'clock in the evening. I've seen that prayer meeting start at 10 o'clock in the evening and go to 1.30 in the morning praying for God's people, praying for God's move and experiencing an incredible move. Uh, It still goes on today. happens at 8 o'clock every Saturday night. You're invited. You'd like to be a part of something special. You want what most people don't have, do what most people won't do. I watched a lady come up and kneel down one night. Some folks laid hands on her, prayed with her. She went home that night, didn't say anything, came back on Sunday and asked some particular people, did you, did you lay hands on me? Did you pray over me last night? And as the story went, yes. And she said, when you prayed over me, I felt something go through my body. And she said, I got up with no knee pain, went home, wasn't sure about it. My knee was in such bad shape that if I had to go downstairs in my house, I had to sit down and move down one step at a time. I couldn't stand up and go up or down the steps. could barely get around. And she said, God healed me last night. And I know for a fact till this day now, six, seven years later, Jeannie Nolan's never had knee surgery. God healed her that night and touched her right there. It was an amazing. She had knee surgery scheduled to have a knee repaired that was tore up. That's what was going on. God was moving. But listen, that's the physical thing that we hear about, and we cheer about that. But that's a drop in the bucket to what God was doing. You understand, God was moving. He had called a group of people together. It was organic. It wasn't something that was organized and planned, and, you know, we've got a formula. If you do this, then this happens. That wasn't what it was at all. God had begun to call people together, and we began to pray, and we began to see things happen. And by the way, that wasn't the only prayer meeting that was going on. That's just the one that I was showing up for, and I seen. You see, God was doing a new thing among his people. He was growing, and we see in verses, in verse 19, where Isaiah says, behold, I am doing a new thing. And that's what we were experiencing. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He's doing a new thing. Now let me just tell you something. God delights in doing something new. He likes doing something new. It says his mercies are new every morning. Thank God. Woo. If they weren't, I'd be in trouble. You would be too. His mercies are new every morning. Unfortunately, though, or fortunately, God delights in involving you and I in his new things. 
the new things, something new. He likes to involve us. And unfortunately, the new things often make us uncomfortable. They're not easy. God wants to stretch. He wants to make us uncomfortable. They lead us into unseen circumstances. You can't always see. God wants us to trust Him, to believe in Him. He wants to grow us. We're not sure on how to handle the things which we face, and this alone makes it hard. But if we stay in the past, we said a while ago, we'll tend to get prideful. These experiences are always humbling. God stretches us. God wants to grow us. He can't use the proud and the haughty, the ones that are convinced of their own... You know, that one that's like, God's just lucky to have me. No, he's not. (laughs) You need him. He does not need you. But he loves you and he's died for you. You see, the wealth of this world, if I went up and down the pews, I'll guarantee you everybody in this room wants something they don't have, and if they had enough money, they could go get it. Almost none of us are completely satisfied. That's why we get up and go to work. We pay for the things we want. We buy the things. But the fact is, this world, wealth as a whole, enables us to live in a cushioned environment. We're able to insulate. That's why we invest in 401Ks and in the stock market. is trying to keep the wolf away from the door. We're trying to hold things off. There's nothing wrong with that. But we also need to understand that that insulation, that living comfortable is not where God can stretch us. He can't grow us. Success in the world means protection from these very situations. And this is often the reason we need to go through a crisis is to get us back on track. If you're going through a crisis right now, maybe God is trying to get you back on track. Maybe he's trying to wake you up. I believe this. Everything in our lives, the good and the bad, everything is allowed by God in order to try to draw us back to Him. If we'll thank Him for the good things, we'll draw closer to Him. If we'll learn and praise Him for the bad things, we'll draw closer to Him. See, that is the goal. That's our hope, and that's where we're headed. Maybe... Maybe the highest paying job is not what we need. Maybe the biggest house or the biggest bank account or the most attractive woman or the most handsome man. Maybe that's not what God has, and maybe it is. God uses us where he has us. God, however, does seek new situations for you and I in order to stretch us and teach us to trust Him. It's kind of painful. It's not always our favorite thing. But it's God's plan. Are we trusting Him? The things of this world allowed to will corrupt us. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. But the love of it, the desires for it, the chasing of it. Back to our church and what was going on. I was talking about the prayer meeting. 
People begin to show up here in droves. We literally didn't have a place for everyone. During this time, we had over 300, I think the biggest number I ever heard was 325 to 350 people trying to squeeze into this sanctuary. And many of you or some of you were here when that was happening. We actually used the youth room and, and uh, would show the service and, and used it as an overflow back there uh, to be able to accommodate the people that came in. This started in May, and three months later in September, we had to go to two services. And now that's why we do have two services. We've continued to need to have them till this day. You may not realize it, but there's another church that meets here at 9 o'clock in Sunday mornings. Yeah, how about that? Some of you have never met all of them, and some of them have never met you all. But God began to supply. He began to grow us. He was preparing us for what we didn't know. And to be quite honest with you, we don't have a clear vision of what that is even yet today. But God has done a work, is continued to do a work, has supplied in amazing ways. We uh, as a group and uh, as a, a elder board have tried to look and see what needs to be done and how to do it and how to go about it. And you need to know that your elder board is um, kind of allergic to debt. We don't like it. Willing to take on some uh, as it is correct and right. But we had, we had bought 25 acres thinking maybe we would build a building and we would be able to go there. And then the building costs went up and it's like five, six million dollars to get anything that we could all get into and, and would be useful. It just didn't feel like that was the right thing to do. And we begin to look around. Maybe there's another option. Maybe there's something else to do. The church is completely debt-free. So what would we do? We thought there was one thing. We had a group that contacted us and wanted to possibly uh, sell us their church. And for a year and a half, we worked with that as they worked in and out and tried to figure out what they were going to do. And it was going to happen, and then it wasn't going to happen. And after a while, it was like, let's just, obviously, it appears this door is closed. We'll try something else. This is not going to work. And we walked away and we began to look at other things, and nothing was working out. Let me tell you something. When God opens a door, the devil may try to shut it, but when God opens a door, it's open. And God slammed that door back open, and we've walked through it, and a month from now, we'll have a facility that will seat double the people that are in the facility right now. God has supplied. Why? Because the people were coming. We didn't know what to do. God was moving, and we couldn't see how and what. But the fact is that a month from now, we'll have seating, and I think the 17th of March, we plan to have our first services there. It's going to be amazing because God has continued to do a new thing. He's continued to work, and we've allowed him to do it. Tried not to get ahead of him, not understood what was going on, trying to figure out what it didn't make sense at times. But God's timing is perfect. He's right on time every time. And as we've waited on him, 
He's worked. He's done uh, in ways and better and worked it out smoother than we ever could uh, on our own. So often over the last few years of experiencing the growth and seeing what happened here in the well, I've seen people come and people go. And sometimes for the right reasons, sometimes for the wrong reasons, it's natural. It happens. People do come and go. And that's okay. It's, it's not a bad thing. But I've seen people come back to the church. And so often when they do, the statement is, it's just not the same old well. And I've got news for you. They're right. Because it's moving forward. There are new people coming in constantly. There are lives being changed. And it looks different from time to time. Why? Because God continues to do a new thing. He continues to grow us and to move. He's not give up on us. He's not quit. And the Spirit of God is in this place. In spite of any single person, the Spirit of God is here. Why? Because collectively, there are a group of people that are humble enough to realize that they're imperfect, but God is perfect and He can change lives. Some of you are here this morning because you walked through the door for the first time and God changed your life in ways and you'll never be the same. Eternity changed. I've got news for you. Heads up. In a month, God's doing a new thing. And the well is never going to be the same. Or you're going to walk in, it doesn't feel quite the same, but the Spirit of God will be there. Why? I've met with this group of people in other physical places, and the Spirit of God shows up there too, whether at a park or another church or another auditorium. The fact is, God is doing a new thing. He's supplying a place in order for us to potentially grow. And by the way, you remember that other church that meets at 9 o'clock? We're all going to be seen. We're all going to be able to meet in the same time, same place. It'll probably be at 10.30. I don't know. I don't, they'll figure out what time. But we'll all be able to meet in the same auditorium at the same time. And you know what's great about that is? If God sees fit to grow us, we can go back to two services again or more. The fact is, we don't know what God is doing, but He's doing a new thing. He is growing us. Dave's worried about having to work security on <laughs> multiple services again. <laughs> the fact is, God has answered prayer. Why? Because all those years ago, there were people that were meeting and crying out and praying about them. Some of them don't even go to church here anymore. They're not a part of the church. But their prayers were saved up in heaven. And God is answering them today. Some of you all are here today because of that. And we'll be in the next building because of people humbling themselves and crying out to God and allowing Him to work in our lives. Let me tell you something. The devil has fought every step of the way. And he doesn't fight fair. As you've already heard me say, he's, he worked on trying to uh, make the sale never happen, make it impossible for it to ever happen, to frustrate us to the point we'd walk away and have nothing to do with it. It, it was kind of like that for a while, very frustrating. 
But God had a plan. But not only that, the devil has attacked everyone, and, and you owe prayer for your leadership. The pastors, the elders, every one of them has been attacked by the devil over the last very few years. Some of them, few months. Some of it was financial, struggles that you wouldn't see coming, and they've happened, didn't make sense. Some of it's been physical, attack, disease, uh, anxieties, all kinds of things uh, that have attacked some of the leadership, down to the devil doesn't fight fair, going after families and trying to destroy families, trying to get after them. And listen, not just in your leadership, but I'll guarantee you there's other people that are volunteering that are a part of the church that have been under attack. The devil is trying to stop what God is doing. But here's what we know about that. I've read the end of the book, and we win. It's for a fact. Our hope is in Jesus. And we need a few more people to act like eagles and a lot less like chickens. We need a lot more eagles and a lot less chickens. You ever drive past a barnyard? You remember those hens I was talking about earlier? You know what you see when you drive by a barnyard? Chickens can't fly. They might get off the ground and make it across the barnyard, but they're not flying away. They're not going anywhere. And most of the time, they're scratching, pecking for something to eat, looking down. They spend their lives doing that. And let me tell you, there's no future in being a chicken. The best that they can hope for is to end up down at Popeye's or at churches, or hanging out with Colonel Sander on the screen down here. That's the best chance they got. Or maybe on your plate later today at your house. That's the future of a chicken. And by the way, when the storms come, chicken will run and hide. It'll get under something. It'll go in the chicken coop. It'll go where it thinks the storm can't get to it. But it has to hide from the storm. But like I said, we need a few more eagles. You see, eagles have about a seven-foot wingspan. They only weigh about 12 pounds at the most. I'm sure some are a little bigger. But they can carry more than their own body weight, maybe twice as much. They've been known to carry off small animals, maybe a lamb. Or something else. In fact, an eagle doesn't scratch and peck and look for its meal. It can see its meal from up to two miles away. We need some people who've got some vision looking forward. They're willing to let God work in their lives and give them a vision. By the way, an eagle can fly about a half a mile high, maybe more. Oh, yeah, and when the storms show up, the eagle doesn't get under a shelter and hide from it. You know what he does? 
seven-foot wingspan, and faces into the storm. And the storm begins to lift him. You see, God's often in the storm. Those storms of life are brought to stretch us, to grow us. And the eagle lifts his wings and lets the storm. He faces the storm. Doesn't hide from it, doesn't fly away from it. Faces into it. And the wind of the storm begins to lift it. He can't fly through it, under it, around it. But the storm begins to lift him, begins to take him above it. God is doing a new thing here. And often those new things start with storms. There doesn't seem to be a way through it. I don't know what's going on in your life. I struggle with enough with my life, handling the storms that come through for me. But as I learn about some of the things, there's some in, in, attached and in our church dealing with essentially death sentences in the next few weeks. But I've seen God begin to lift those people, begin to lift them up. What storms are you facing? If we face into it and accept that God is doing a work and he's going to do it through us, he wants to involve us in us. God asks us to face the storms of life and the challenges of daily living and to begin to see the storms of life for what they really are. You see, if you're unsaved, the storms of life are truly storms. If you're a Christian, it's a spiritual battle. And folks, it's time to allow God to be the wind beneath our wings. Allow Him. He said He would fight all of our battles. It's not something that we have to show up every day and do our part. But God has promised to work it out. I've seen Him do it. I've lived it. I've lived Him working those things out. Understanding that we are in spiritual battles when the devil comes at us, when life storms come, that we can turn to God, that he will handle them for us. And he'll handle them in ways you and I could never imagine, being patient. And that's a little bit of what I was describing with the church just a few minutes ago. As Christians, we can be assured of how this ends. We can know how it ends. We have that hope. In verse 20 it says, The wild beast will honor me the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. Some of you uh, have been in the military, and I believe it's the Marines. I don't remember which one of the military branches it says, no man left behind. Let me tell you something. God takes care of his own. There are no men left behind. If we will trust him and allow him to work, there are no men left behind. He has promised to be closer than a brother to take care of us if we'll accept his salvation, if we'll give our life to him and allow him to work in our life. God takes care of his own. We should know that. Verse 21 says, The people who I formed for myself that they might declare their praise. Chris, if you and the team would come. The people whom I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. 
Folks, we've got really one job. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You give Him your life. You're faithful and allow Him to do that. You have one job. Praise Him. It says it right here. That's our job. To declare my praises. To declare the praises of God. I don't know where you're at in your life this morning. If you would, stand all over the house this morning. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't have this assurance. But He wants to give it to you. It's freely given, freely offered. Jesus is asking that you would accept Him, that you would give Him your life. Folks, if you're here and you've been saved and you're dealing with problems, face the storm. Give it to Him. We're going to open the altar if you're unsaved. This couldn't be a better morning for you to turn your life to Him. If you're here this morning and you're facing storms as a Christian, there couldn't be a better time to meet with your brothers, to pray, to begin to spread your wings, to allow God to do a work in your life this morning. If God has spoken to you, don't leave without addressing it. Won't you come?